Hi, my name's Emily and I'm an osteopath and healthcare enthusiast working in the Midlands. I spend every week helping my patients reduce their aches and pains, move their bodies more and live the healthiest life possible. And now I want you to join the conversation. In this podcast, I'll be investigating the people and places around the Midlands that are on the same mission and ask them to share their knowledge to transform your health. There's no subject that's off topic. Nutrition, mental health, sleep and fitness, it's all here. This is the Healthy Midlands Podcast. Today with my colleague Ellen from Ebrook Osteopathy and Sports Clinic. Ellen works at both of our clinic sites and today we've taken our conversation in our Sutton Coldfield Clinic. Um, the clinic is working at the moment so the audio quality of this episode might not be up to our usual standard. We've got patients coming and going, we've got the road outside but what we lack in audio quality we will gain in the insight that Ellen has for treating children with neurological conditions, particularly cerebral palsy. Mm -hmm. Ellen did her dissertation study on exactly this. And so she's got really a very fresh and sharp knowledge on the topic. Mm. Hello, Ellen. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? You I'm okay? doing okay, yeah. <laughs> so I've dragged Ellen into one of the treatment rooms to chat to me about cerebral palsy. Mm. And I think that's the place to start really, isn't I think it, it Ellen? probably is, yeah. <laughs> so what is cerebral palsy? So cerebral palsy, it's basically the most common global disability. It's a motor disability, so that means it's mostly movement-based. Um, and the fancy term for that is neurodevelopmental motor disorders, um, which again just means movement-based is sort of the main disability that comes out of it. It comes from two words, so cerebral means brain essentially, and that is a um, caused by sort of, usually it's sort of damaged either during the pregnancy, during the birth, or just in the short sort of period after birth, so they call it sort of the postnatal period. Um, there's lots of different reasons why someone can have cerebral palsy um, but it really depends sort of the big risk factor in the research is sort of premature birth so if you're born a little bit early that increases your risk of sort of complicated pregnancies which then increases your risk of things may go wrong and that can sometimes result in a certain number of cases in having this thing called cerebral palsy. So it's where somebody when they're in the womb or they're on their way out of the womb mm -hmm. or shortly after yeah. that kind of uh, between gestation and shortly after birth if at any point the oxygen doesn't reach the brain mm -hmm. in the volume or at all sometimes in difficult births it can result in damage in the brain in the motor the part of the brain that controls the motor commands mm -hmm. from the brain to the body and that results in movement dysfunctions is that right yes that okay. is pretty much spot on however it doesn't always have to be lack of oxygen is the other thing so sometimes if it's post-birth it can be things like trauma so it could be like a head injury or if you've had a little bit of a trauma coming out of the birth canal um that can also be a factor as well that's really interesting because i didn't know that yeah. oh so, it's, um, yeah. so multiple different yeah. reasons it can happen and but multiple the main different one is presentations as well yeah the main one is that idea of it. the fancy word is asphyxiation which just means lack of oxygen to the brain for a short amount of time ah, yeah. so 
It's primarily a movement disorder mm -hmm. and we see people with those movement disorders because the damage has been done in the brain. Mm -hmm. um, am I right in thinking typically that results in like um, common patterns of dysfunction? Mm -hmm. I know that when I was at university, we kind of talked about um, having an upper limb being very flexed, so mm -hmm. very like tight into the body. So kind of a bent elbow and a bent wrist mm -hmm. and finding it difficult to like release that out. And then the lower extremity, so the leg being very extended, mm -hmm. so very straight all the time. Yeah. And that, um, that was kind of one of the things to look out for because it can be such a spectrum mm -hmm. that it might not even be that that person is fixed in that position all the time, but just that they find the opposite of that movement really difficult mm -hmm. to perform. Yeah. I think sometimes you see people with... Um, like adults who maybe have never even been diagnosed with cerebral palsy, but they have like a really um, odd looking gait mm -hmm. sometimes and like a very, that very straight extended leg. Yeah. Because um, it doesn't always affect all of one side of your body, does mm -hmm. it? It can just like do affect one limb mm -hmm. or, yeah, dependent. Yeah. <laughs> so they kind of split it into, I think it's usually about four. So they split the body into sort of your legs in your arms and then it can either be you'd have one arm affected on one side or you could have say your right arm and your right leg affected but your left and um, leg and arm are okay and moving fine or it could be that you have your both arms are affected but your legs are okay and then it can be the other way around where your legs are, are not okay and then your arms are sort of more mobile yeah and then in the sort of most severe ones it can be all sort of four so it can be both arms and both legs but and that just depends on what parts of the brain have been affected by lack of oxygen at the time yeah. and where in the sort of motor cortex which is the area that gets damaged um has been sort of affected so coming on to the exercise ellen yes this is what you did your dissertation study it in is. isn't it it's mm -hmm. not just the study of people with cerebral palsy mm -hmm. but then what are the interventions that you can take to kind of successfully help them to get more movement mm -hmm. and to cope with their movement disorder tell me about your dissertation study okay. really quickly i can do so obviously cerebral palsy is such a broad broad um, topic there's loads of research out there but i looked at it from an osteopathic perspective because we love movement and you probably hear us all banging on about movement and trying to improve mobility and so i thought it'd be interesting to see how that related to cerebral palsy where your mobility is already affected and it's something that's not really going to change essentially it's always something you'll have there since birth or shortly afterwards um, so I thought yeah it'd be interesting to find out what exercises work if there's a certain type of exercise if it's cardio if it's more sort of resistance stuff so that's like your weight training um, or the equivalent of it um, and unfortunately, I'd love to say there is one perfect exercise out there, but going on the research, it's pretty varied. Um, which we is get a this a lot in exercise therapy, though, don't yeah. we? I think that, um, you know, like there's countless studies into um, like a, an absolute bread and butter condition for mm. osteopaths, lower back pain. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's always going to be somebody who comes out and says, you know, like, I have the best stretch or I have the best exercise for these people to do. And the truth is that everybody is different. Mm -hmm. So a partic one particular exercise isn't gonna suit everybody. And that's on like the spectrum of all human bodies. And then when you bring kind of the variants of cerebral palsy into the mm -hmm. situation, 
it's another factor to consider. So maybe the exercise has to match up to the individual a little bit more. Do you think? 100% that's the way I look at it. And that's how I really should look at most exercises for anyone. Um, it is because it is a broad spectrum. You can have other sort of associated conditions with cerebral palsy. So you may find you have sort of cardiovascular conditions. You might have diabetes. And in those cases, exercise is obviously brilliant because that's going to help reduce the long-term impacts of those sort of secondary complications. However, you won't just, or you might not be able to just go out and run a 5K like you might be prescribed typically if someone's trying to boost the cardiovascular fitness. Yeah. We all think, let's go for a run. That's obviously not gonna be achievable for everyone. So it's about finding ways to sort of tweak it and tweak sort of your daily activities, things you can be doing that actually do challenge your cardiovascular system, but just not in the traditional way that we might expect. Yeah. So it can be anything like moving from a chair to your wheelchair or sit to stand so just getting up out of out of a chair or rolling over doing stuff on the floor even things like playing dancing anything can yeah sort of constitute as that kind mm-hmm. of fitness yeah and I think like for people with cerebral palsy the same as for everybody really if exercise isn't enjoyable yeah they're not gonna keep it up no. you have to find enjoyment in doing it otherwise what's the point mm-hmm. it really is it's just really difficult to stay motivated isn't it if you're not actually interested or enjoying what you're doing yeah so it's also about change because things you get bored can't you so one of the interesting things in the research at the moment is there's a lot to do with virtual reality and that seems to have a really positive impact on particularly children with motor disorders like cerebral palsy because you can actually change the environment without changing the environment essentially oh, so and keep their interest yeah, in it so you can sort of tweak it as you go and change it quite rapidly to adapt with sort of their interest and um, yeah, yeah so to keep them engaged yeah. with it I guess that's like you can turn a lot of it into games as mm-hmm. well can't you yeah. oh that's incredible and then you can progress that with sort of age or interest there so as someone matures obviously their interests might differ so virtual reality is quite a nice way of tweaking that um, to keep up with I mean and what a, an amazing tool as a physical therapist as well mm-hmm. because if you kind of think um, oh you really want them to like focus on the extension of that arm and the, the virtual reality game is that they have to try and like reach up for something. If you can see that they're, they're progressing and they're finding it easier to reach that target in the virtual environment, yeah. well, you could potentially just move that target a little bit further away and they're getting progression in their rehab exercises and they don't even feel like it's hard work exactly it suddenly doesn't feel like exercise which is quite a nice way to be isn't it especially if it's something you've done (laughs) all your life it sort of might become a little bit of a chore having to go to physical therapy so it's a nice way to make it a little bit more fun we're kind of talking more specifically about children here but i have a lot of adult patients who i think this would (laughs) be really (laughs) motivating for um and kind of on that i guess that we need to make physical therapy appropriate for each individual Mm. was there anything in the big data that you looked at when you were doing your dissertation study that would be useful to know about in terms of um I know that they said that there wasn't it kind of came out there wasn't one size fits all Mm. for exercise was there any kind of pointers in the data at all Uh, yeah there was a couple so things like resistance exercise so that idea of strengthening in sort of recent years that's become a lot more favorable because initially we thought 
actually that might not be a good thing and stretching was the way to go because a typical presentation for some people with cerebral palsy is this idea of spasticity so your muscles are tight and closed up so you don't get a lot of movement really because the muscles are sort of fighting against you like a lack of flexibility yeah so Mm. they think well to combat that let's sort of stretch you out however they're actually finding if you do sort of increase the load and get the muscles strong that in the long term that is actually improving your mobility because you're able to do stuff a bit more and accept more challenges I guess in life that life throws at you there's a lot with resistance training in terms of like neurological Mm. command as Mm. well isn't there so if you're going to pick up a weight you have to balance that weight Mm -hmm. it kind of becomes your brain prioritizes that because if you drop it or if you lift incorrectly there's a potential that you can hurt yourself Mm -hmm. and so if you add resistance to an exercise you're raising the stakes and your brain's primary goal all the time is to keep you alive and out of harm's way so if you sort of like increase the the stakes a little bit when it comes to doing those exercises it turns something from a stretch or a mobility exercise Mm. which is neither here nor there really to like actually you have to concentrate on this and you can't you can't let your mind wander off I know that's what I really like about weight training Mm. um but I think then neurologically there is that kind of like added component of urgency in your brain and you like have to really focus on it yeah it's interesting isn't it it is it's fascinating it's all about creating neural sort of pathways so like Emily's saying, adding that extra stimulus of a weight kind of challenges your neurological symptoms uh, system a little bit more, um, which is brilliant in uh, cases like cerebral palsy because you have got a little bit of a disadvantage from a motor perspective because your motor cortex isn't at full function, I guess. Um, so it's nice to then create other ways because the brain's very good at sort of adapting and creating new ways to achieve stuff absolutely so adaptive and that was actually as you were saying that the question that popped into my mind Mm -hmm. was um we kind of talk about the remodeling of the brain as as neuroplasticity yeah um and we know that children are better at that than adults Mm -hmm. are and unfortunately we kind of do become a little bit less neurologically dynamic as we go through life Mm -hmm. you know if you look at um children learning how to do something like play the piano if I was seven years old and I was learning to play the piano it would come to me quite easily because my brain is young Mm -hmm. and dynamic and ready to learn new things um now at the you know on the downward slope to the age of 30 my brain (laughs) is not quite as quick as it used to be and if I started trying to play the piano now I know that neurologically speaking I wouldn't make the progress as quickly as I would do when I was a child yeah so is it even more important when you are a child who's been diagnosed with cerebral palsy to make those leaps in your um, rehab and in terms of kind of getting your mobility and your strength good as a child because you have a brain that is more neurologically dynamic yeah you can make better progress than if you kind of leave children to their own devices and only come to them with physical therapy and rehab later in life when they start experiencing Mm -hmm. pain and mobility problems that is actually a big thing in the research so while there's no sort of exercise set guidelines so no nothing that will tell you how many reps you should be doing how many sets etc if you were doing sort of weight training or resistance exercise with cerebral palsy the overall 
sort of consensus with most of the research has been the earlier you get an intervention in so the more active you are in your earlier stages of life the better your outcomes are in the future so it does help prolong sort of um, those secondary implications that we were talking about it can help sort of draw that out a little bit longer so yeah because I guess that a lot of the diseases that we encounter in the western Mm -hmm. world and a lot of them are obesity related um, diseases heart disease Mm -hmm. high cholesterol high blood pressure diabetes Mm -hmm. and then kind of like more complications from there heart Mm -hmm. attacks heart failure strokes um, like peripheral neuropathy on and on and on just the list go those are those are kind of diseases of lack of mobility Mm -hmm. and a lot of the time you know like oh do we we could have maybe done things a little bit differently we could have looked after our bodies a little bit more we're getting into those like 50s 60s and these things are starting to rear their heads when you haven't had a choice because you're motor cortex has been damaged Mm -hmm. and you haven't had the opportunity to be as mobile or be as active those things come to you and they come to you earlier in life yes and so that is unfortunately a risk factor is children with disabilities are at a higher risk of getting things like being overweight or obesity and so that's something that the literature has caught on to recently and it is about promoting the health and well-being and as much movement as possible yeah and the root of that is in their lack of mobility rather than any other factor it can also be things like like we were saying about motivation so if you're doing stuff the same thing every day it does get a little bit boring we don't really want to do it if you ask me to go pick up a 10 kg weight every day and do so many reps i'd be pretty bored by the end of the week i think yeah Um, i don't think i'd fancy that uh, so that that is a factor and then there's also links of there's a big implication with mental health so while there's a big focus on physical health we need to sort of look at the dual and look at it in terms of as a whole they're going to have to coincide so it's about promoting your mental health alongside the physical and exercise is quite a good way of doing that because you release endorphins and it actually does yeah help support mental health that way and I think there's a big correlation between mental health and independence as well, mm-hmm. isn't there? And if yeah. you lack some of the skills that you need to be independent, then you, your mental health is going to suffer off the back of that. And I know that we've kind of talked about arms and legs already. Yes. But for people with cerebral palsy, one of the big independence factors mm-hmm. and one of the big things that I think, um, you know, like I've seen patients with cerebral palsy, it's their walking. Mm-hmm. And that's that's so key to get right what does the research say about kind of walking and gait and getting people with cerebral palsy moving well so if you're ambulant which means you're able to walk with cerebral palsy and the big thing is this idea of like treadmill training or gait training which is actually something we do at the clinic here so like gait analysis so it would involve sort of quite intensive sessions on a treadmill and the fun thing is they've almost reversed it so you do this thing called backward gait training so you end up walking backwards and actually that's had quite a positive response in certain studies for children with cerebral palsy that it's just as effective and in some cases if not more effective than just walking or running that is so so cool yeah so i know that when we went on um the running school a few months ago there were a few practitioners who went from the clinic to go and learn with um 
Mike Antoniades, mm -hmm. and I butcher his surname every time I say <laughs> it, um, but he has um, the most incredible facility at the Wasps Rugby Club in Acton in mm -hmm. London, um, and he kind of goes through um, teaching people how to run better, more effectively, more efficiently and faster with less instance of injury. And he's worked with all sorts of people. He's worked with world-class athletes, Olympians. Mm -hmm. He's worked with para-athletes. He works, he work, anybody who moves fast has been yes. on one of his treadmills at some <laughs> point. Um, but off of the back of that, I mean, Mike has like over 35 years experience. He is, in terms of gait um, training and gait analyses, um, I'm sure he won't mind me saying, you know, he's <laughs> literally, he's the person to go to. He's famous for it. Um, he's actually just written a book called oh, really? Who Taught You How to Run. Uh, there's Ooh, a little plug for uh, my good pal Mike. <laughs> you have to go buy it now. <laughs> it's available on Amazon and other good uh, online book retailers. It's actually really, if you're into running and you're interested in it, it's a really, really good read. Um, but as part of his um, kind of experience in gait analysis and training, he does um, deal quite often with children with uh, like motor disabilities mm -hmm. and cerebral palsy. Um, and if you go and have a look at um, him on Instagram, he's at the running school. Yeah. And he has another one called the movement school. Mm -hmm. um, he's got like just incredible results from gait training with children who've got uh, motor neurological disabilities. Um, but it's really interesting because the format that he lays out for runners and when you're training anybody to run more efficiently and faster, he, he sets you kind of like tasks on his um, dynamic movement system mat that he patented. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are like forward steps and he wants you to go fast. So you're like stepping in and out of a box as fast as you can. Um, tripping over your feet, probably getting it wrong half of the time. And every time you falter, it's like a mark against you on the system. It gets very competitive and everyone's sweating and it makes you really out of breath. But it's not the physical work. It's like the actual intensity of the, the concentration that yeah. you're having to put out. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he flips you from the forward step to the backward step, yeah. It's a hundred times easier. Really? And I, I have no idea why. I have no mm. idea why that works in your brain. But walking backwards or stepping backwards. Mm. And again, maybe it's like that the stakes are higher. We're so yeah. used to moving forwards that our brain's like, oh man, now we're moving backwards. I've really got to concentrate. Up my game now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I don't know whether there's something in that. And actually, I'm, I should, must email Mike and ask him what the reason for it is because he would know. He just like hasn't told me. <laughs> I've still got so much to learn. Um, but yeah, the minute you go from the forward step to the backward step, it like all comes together and it's so fluid. Mm -hmm. So I can't, I can only imagine that if you had a damaged motor cortex that it's got to be similar that yeah. the backwards walking Maybe. somehow has got some sort of like neurological quirk to it yeah, that. that makes it but uh, and equally you know like Mike says you've got to practice mm -hmm. these footwork drills you've got to practice yeah. yada yada and that will make you faster and more precise when you're going forward yeah 
I also think it's something new, isn't it? Because typically we don't walk backwards, do we? Because we'd be bumping into things. So yeah. I think it's nice that it's it's a bit of a different challenge, isn't it? And like you said, it changes the stakes and maybe yeah. it makes your brain engage that know. little bit more. I'm it's quite fascinating. Definitely going to get to um, the bottom of it. Yes. I think we'll have to do. You'll have to do another podcast we'll on have that. To do a, a part two catch up yeah. episode. So I know that there is. Um, speaking of walking there's something else that you want to talk about today isn't there Ellen yeah there is so there's this movement called Steptember which ironically is coming up in September believe it or not (laughs) and it's a um, charity initiative run by um, the Cerebral Palsy Alliance Research Foundation which is a little bit of a mouthful but basically they raise money they're an American charity and the idea is they're one of the people behind putting money towards all this lovely research that we've been talking about so they're sort of pioneers for that um, and what they do is the goal is everyone knows about your 10,000 steps, don't they? Especially since lockdown, 10,000 steps have been everyone's goal really yeah, to achieve. 10,000 steps a day. Yes, we want the 10,000 <laughs> steps a day. So September is about achieving your 10,000 steps a day and then putting money towards this charity says so raising money for this cause. Um, you don't, the best thing about it is actually, like we were talking about, not everyone is able to walk all the time or is ambulant. So you don't actually have to walk. 10,000 steps you could dance you could do if it's your physical therapy session it could be just um even like wheelchair moving in a wheelchair anything there's about 60 activities I think that count towards your steps oh wow so they've got all of this listed out on their website the different ways that you can get involved yeah so if you go have a nosy on their website it would give you the lovely long list of the different exercises and then the equivalent of steps that they're worth so if it was like a 10 minute um, dance how many steps that would get you towards your goal for the day um, and the idea then is to raise as much money as possible it's quite nice because you can do it as a team so the website offers you to the opportunity to either register as an individual or you can register as part of a team which might be nice then because you can have a little competition going and see who's getting the 10,000 steps every day and who's slacking I know that in our clinic everyone's going in as a team and we're gonna get competitive over it I've got my um dog walking trainers out already Mm -hmm. and I think that our clinic dog Rufus who has uh featured on a few of these episodes when he's been naughty (laughs) um I know that he's uh definitely looking forward to it and he's going to be more tired than I think he's ever been in his life before for September (laughs) yeah very important team member so it'd be quite exciting it's a good challenge and um it's just raising money for a good cause there's a couple of different ones so the one that we're sort of focusing on is the American one. That's who we've got sort of the link to. However, there's also, I think they do it in Australia, New Zealand. Um, so it's quite a big thing. So we're All trying to get it encouraged. In research as well, though. So yeah. um, I think that when it comes to research, this kind of thing, it's probably better to kind of lump yourself in with the bigger guys yeah. because they can achieve more with exactly. the donations that they get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to raise awareness from our side of the pond, as I like to say, because it's not quite... Um, as well known over in Europe and the UK so it's nice to just sort of get a different perspective on it and show that we we can do it too we can get our 10,000 steps a day amazing raise money yeah so check out the September initiative and we will link the um, website Mm -hmm. up in the show notes and if you know somebody with a neurological disorder or you would like to come and see Ellen yourself she works at both of our clinics in Sutton Coalfield and Litchfield and she will be very very happy to help you with your resistance training your gait Mm. analysis and any other problems you may have yeah 
10,000 steps, we'll do it together. We can, more than happy to help with it. Oh, thanks so much for spending some time with me, Ellen. It's okay, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Healthy Midlands podcast. Make sure to hit the follow button so that you can be the first to know when the next episode is up. Leave a review or share this podcast with a friend if you found it useful. And for more, come and find us on Instagram at Healthy Midlands.